Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. Welcome back to another episode. We've got joining us today, Sean Hadley, who is live from New Zealand, of all places, home of, I think you have hobbits and sheep and Mordor there, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. He created the Magic DAC. This is a data acquisition unit that you can script with Python to help you with all of your testing, data acquisition needs, and whatnot. He built it within the last year, founded a company around it, and now he's selling direct as well as selling through a number of distributors. Some of those distributors are in the United States. So one of the things we wanted to talk to Sean about is how do you sell into the United States? Because I know we talk about selling internationally, but selling into the United States seems like a little bit of a reverse thing for us and possibly some of the listeners out there. To get started, Sean, I want to ask you, other than the Shire and Mordor and all the sheep, why New Zealand? What brought you there? You know, that's a really good question and one I might not have a perfectly satisfactory answer to. But basically, uh, you know, I left university in the United States, spent a few years working for a Fortune 500 medical company, and uh, my wife and I really enjoyed travel. And we we're just sitting on a couch one day and we we're like, hey, let's let's do something a little different. And uh, we saw that New Zealand is offering a very good immigration uh uh, basically package <laughs> if you're an engineer and, and it just went from there and we loved it. So I do have to ask a personal question about that if mm. you don't mind. You They brought you in, or excuse me, New Zealand gave you an immigration package for being an engineer, but you didn't have to work for a New Zealand company or ah. you were able to just move there and start your own company? Yeah. So immigration uh, works a little different in New Zealand as compared to the United States. Uh, there's a variety of different paths, but basically uh, there's a thing called a skilled migrant and uh, if you meet a certain set of criteria that the government publishes, then they're willing to give you a visa uh, even without a job offer. Now, I did have a job offer uh, when I first arrived. But um, yeah, as long as you're sufficiently well qualified, uh, it's basically an open door. It's, it's very generous. Oh, that's amazing. That is good to know. For anyone considering moving to another country and you're an engineer, New Zealand sounds like a great place. If I can relay a quick anecdote. Um, so the city I live in, Christchurch, was leveled by an earthquake in 2011. So I show up to the the airport in 2015 with all my papers. And, you know, of course, the immigration officer stops me at the border and says, hey, you know, hmm, no return ticket. Let's talk. Asking what what are you here for? What's your deal? And then she says, "Well, what's your what's your employment?" I said, "Engineer." And she just grabs the stamp and hits my passport. And she's like, "Well, welcome." <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so engineering is a, apparently a badge of honor there. Well, because the city was leveled, she interpreted that as engineer who builds buildings. Now I, I build medical oh, things, but <laughs> we didn't get into the details. Yeah. <laughs> So the interesting thing is that now you have your own business or you're working on with Magic Deck, there are also immigration possibilities when owning your own business as well, especially if the revenues or your income levels are a certain way. So if you're an engineer who owns your own business, you basically have a global mm. passport. Yeah, the investor class visa. I don't know if I'm quite there, but yeah. <laughs> well, soon, soon. And we're, we're going to talk about that next. So, okay, you you moved to New Zealand and you've been settled in there. You had a lot of past work experience. I, I would love to touch on that really quick. Uh, what 
inspired you or from your past experience, what are you bringing to building Magic Deck? Because you did a lot of different things, including some stuff that you're not allowed to talk about. Ah, yeah, well, um, so I've worked in hardware engineering, uh, mostly targeted at uh, uh, medical devices, but um, Harris is referring to uh, my experience with the U.S. government and the Army working on mind-clearing robots. But basically, what it comes down to is when you're developing a, a hardware technical product, you have a R&D phase where you're often testing PCBAs, um, oftentimes you're cobbling together sort of electronics to, to do cycle testing, battery testing, and max ambient temperature testing. To me, that seems like a wasted time almost. If you could instead have all of that analog front-end test gear just on a simple test module. So at my most recent uh, place of employment, they had one out of five engineers dedicated to building these things. I said, hey, let's just build you one module you can use every time, save you a bit of time. And then we'll also make you a super easy Python front end so you can just script the thing and we'll be away. We can move on to the next part of our design. That's that's really cool. And there's got to be a big market for that, I imagine. I mean, one out of five engineers is working on that. I mean, they probably don't like you for taking their job away, but... Ooh, uh, actually, no, this guy, he loved it because this guy was more of a software guy. He just wanted to write the test software to test the oh, stuff perfect. out. And he said, I don't have to design hardware anymore. That's great. Uh, you know, and so I was like, cool. Here's your thing. Here's your module. Um, also, small to medium-sized companies, now they've got their design finished, they have to test every one of them before they ship them to make sure the quality they're delivering to their customers is good. And so, you know, instead of designing a custom test module, maybe you just use this mo- my, my generic test module uh, and, and maybe get things going quickly. Sure. So talk to us about when you first developed this, you had this idea, you saw a need for it. How did you go about getting early customers? Because that's a question we get all the time. I've got this thing, nobody's buying it. How do I get people to buy it? And, you know, that's absolutely the hardest and and most important problem to work on, in my view. Um, So I drew up a a, a data sheet even before I created anything. I even made like um, three-dimensional models to show what this thing was going to look like. And then I just hit up people on LinkedIn. I rang people like just on the phone, told them what I was doing. These are all engineers in small companies. Hey, this is what I'm after. Uh, what do you think? Give me some feedback. And, and people were very generous. You know, one engineer talking to another, they like to talk. Um, and, and those became my trial customers, you know, when I made the first revision of the board. So were these cold calls or were these people you knew from your network? These were cold calls. Yeah, yeah, they were cold calls. <laughs> so, wow, so that worked for you. Well, that was tough. I mean, I definitely got a lot of, you know, where'd you get my phone number? Where did <laughs> Engineers maybe sometimes don't want to be contacted out of the blue. But once I, you know, told them, hey, listen, mate, I'm just trying to help. There's this idea. I'm saving time for myself. Are you keen? You know, sometimes people be keen to chat. I, you know, it came around 30, 40% of people were more than happy to have a, a quick chat about what's going on. Right. So you identified a particular persona like, oh, I look for what test engineers. I look for hardware designers. Like who, like, did you s- seek out specific things in their profile to try oh, to yeah. narrow that down? I want to talk to design engineers who are maybe junior to medium level, uh, you know, senior executives, maybe not my bag. Uh, I, I want to talk to basically me or me five years ago in, in other companies. That was smart. And once you did that, so you had the first few customers mm. that you cold called or maybe asked some of your friends. What did you do after that? Did you start advertising? <laughs> did you like what came next to the as far as far as growth was concerned? Yeah, um, actually a little bit of a lull. So I, you know, I had my first couple sales there, five, whatever. And I thought, well, what, what comes next? I have to get smarter about this. And this is outside my area of expertise. So what I did is I went and found other people who've launched hardware products 
And I set up Zoom calls with them and entrepreneurs love to talk. And they just basically told me how to go about it. They provided me a a path forward, um, smart things like, um, hey, let's start sending out free ones to influencers, people uh, like the Amp Hour podcast, uh, uh, you know, people who are writing embedded mu- the embedded muse is a is a newsletter a lot of engineers are familiar with. Also, um, you know, we can do some scripting with LinkedIn to reach out to lots of design engineers, send them emails, that sort of thing. One thing that you touched on earlier, so your product, the Magic DAC, and if people want to learn more, it's magicdaq.com. Uh, it uses Python. And I noticed that we've had a few past hardware entrepreneurs who have used Python for their products, the Bino Nova host adapter and with Jonathan Giorgino and then Matt Liberty in the Joule scope. Also, uh, you can use Python. Was Python part of the appeal for getting some of these early customers? Did the fact that you supported that programming language matter to people? Was it just the hardware? What about the combination of things when you pitched right. people? Resonated with so them. the hardware module integrates like current measurement, a relay switching, some some basic stuff that really is lives by itself. No one else has got one of those, uh, so that's pretty cool because it's basically removing the time that an engineer would have had to do spend designing custom front end circuitry. So that's its own thing. The DAC module, yeah, lots of people have got that. My pitch is basically, don't you love Python? So do I. It's super simple. <laughs> I wrote this. The, the most simple API I could possibly imagine. And then I, I tried to do some really great documentation with, with some good code examples. Check it out. If you're keen for Python, you can buy my deck. If you don't, if you're, you're more of a C-sharp guy, great. Other decks interface well with my hardware test module. So just making it available. Python's one of the fastest growing uh, programming languages out there. Really easy to get your feet into. So, you know, I think it had some uptick. Yeah, and you can get somebody who's not even you can get somebody who's a junior engineer and say you teach them Python a lot faster than like your C plus plus at least in my experience. And I I like both of those languages, but I also think they have their uses. Like right, it's like what do you, which what is the right tool for the job? That's absolutely correct. Um, yeah, I love Python because you can just it's so so easy to to use, and you're right, the learning curve is one of the shortest possible in programming, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I hear I hear a lot of people putting python down when they a lot of embedded engineers are like oh i can't do certain things you're like well you probably shouldn't use python for that that's not the right tool for the job uh you know i do have some contrarian opinions there first of all if you're happy with c you're happy with c plus plus go for it nothing against that that said uh we launched a very successful medical uh uh, reporting product uh in the uk that runs Python on a 2.7 in processor. This is an embedded Python. So, you know, other there are other approaches. And sometimes when you're writing in a higher level language, you might be able to cover more ground quickly. Also, mm-hmm. I have, I guess it's a maybe a radical opinion, but uh, I think that there's less bugs if you're writing in a higher level language. Um, I, think, I think you might be able to avoid some pitfalls there. So just something to consider. Yeah, what was it? C allows you to shoot yourself in the foot, and C plus <laughs> plus gives you a shotgun. I think that's uh, yeah. I think that's well, how the phrase goes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think you definitely have to be uh, pretty on on top of it to to get it right. Um, yeah. Oops, I missed a free. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. If you Malik and miss a free, yeah, you're gonna you're you're gonna have a bad time. Uh, I don't want to handle memory allocation. I just want to toggle <laughs> some GPIOs. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh goodness. First, 
let's check in about our sponsors. Sean, why don't you tell us about them? Yeah. So we've got Cyber City Circuits as our sponsor for this episode. They are an electronics distribution shop and contract manufacturer based out of Augusta, Georgia. I don't know if you've ever had to do badge life or one of these small run PCBs where you need to get maybe 30 boards assembled, which is actually a pain to do on your own. I don't know if you've had to do it. I've, I've soldered 30 boards on my own. And let me tell you, it's not a fun process. This is where you would want a shop like this to come in. If you've ever shopped around and looked for a contract manufacturer, a lot of times they'll tell you to take a hike if you bring them less than a thousand boards. This shop is set up to do something like 30. If you're teaching a class, which I've done and I've had to have 30 boards manufactured for the class, or if you're doing like badge life where you're bringing badges that you've custom made to a conference and you want somebody to help you manufacture these and do the assembly process for you, Cyber City Circuits is perfect for this. So check them out, cybercitycircuits.com. And I think we've got a coupon for you. Harris, what is that? That's right. We've actually got two ways to save. So if you use Hello Blink Show through their normal shop, and they've got all sorts of different electronic kits and things like that, you can save 10%. But if you're doing the type of thing that Sean was talking about, you know, you want a small batch of badges ordered or initial prototype runs for a product that you're developing, you say Hello Blink Show, and they will give you up to 25% off the assembly cost of your order. All right, let's get back to the show. Harris, I think you had a question about distribution back into the US. Yeah, that's right. So, okay, the the stack matters. The tools you chose matter because it sort of reflects your philosophy and your experience. You know, you've chosen this simpler way to program the product. So that's helping you get customers. You hit this lull, you went out and you talked to more entrepreneurs and you're selling this product globally. You're based in New Zealand. Um, and obviously, you know, we have a lot of listeners in Australia, New Zealand, and obviously there's a lot of engineers and a lot of companies down there, but there's also a lot of customers in the US as well. What has been your experience overall selling into the US with your product? Taxes, importing, paperwork, has anything been difficult or easy? Yeah. So, um, first of all, target market is obviously in the United States and the UK. It's just a scale, right? Um, so given that I've actually found it now, bear in mind, my volume is, is growing, but you know, still relatively low and I'm not shipping tens of thousands of units. It has been incredibly simple to sell into the U S which is a great thing. You know, you, you do a little bit of paperwork on the export, um, form saying, Hey, you're sending in commercial thing that somebody purchased. Uh, you also have to have like a tariff code to say like what type of product this is. Now, luckily um, for electronic products coming from New Zealand, apparently our tariffs are pretty minimal, so or, or non-existent. Uh, so that going to the U.S. So that's that's great. Um, yeah, I I would say you know under under a thousand units uh, a year, you're really not going to see any kind of opposition going into the U.S. It gets more complicated after that, but. Yeah, and now. so where did you Very go? Good. Is this is this all Google Food, DuckDuckGo, whatever you use, or was there like a, a trade, uh, you know? economic development organization? Did you go to like a, a post office type thing? And did they tell you how it worked? How did you yeah. figure that out? Well, my learning mechanism, it's like if you're finding a way through a maze, I'm hitting all the walls to, to, to try to get through, unfortunately. So I, I just went for it. Uh, you know, when we opened up our, our, our communication with DigiKey, I was like, hey, I got this thing. I want to sell it on DigiKey. And they're, you know, they said, great. You know, here's a big Excel sheet with all these different numbers and and you know what's your tariff code you know how does this classified how oh boy i just googled that stuff 
came up with the best possible answer I could and looked for similar products. And I said, okay, well, what are their tariff code? Copy paste. And, <laughs> and you know what? It, it worked out, you know, and you know, people want to help you is my experience. And so you, you can ring the guys at DigiKey, they'll give you a hand. And similarly with other uh, distributors, they, they're very helpful and generous. For anybody who's listening from DigiKey, um, Sean did all the paperwork correctly. There was no uh, fraudulent activity or anything here. <laughs> no, 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 we're above board. All cool. All, all we're all good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In case that might have been interpreted incorrectly, because I know there's a couple of people from DigiKey who listen to this. Ooh, yeah. No, no, no. Hundred percent. Big fan. Thank you for their help. Um, yeah. No, yeah. DigiKey is DigiKey is awesome. Also, you know, you're asking me about selling into the U.S. You got to remember the vast majority of hardware products flow from outside the US into the US, like China, right? China. And a yeah. lot of these manufacturers, you know, I have the advantage of being able to speak English, right? So, you know, already I'm, I, I have a little bit of a, a leg up. Um, most of these, you know, if if you're an entrepreneur in, in the UK and you want to sell into the US, go for it because, you know, it can't possibly be as hard as shell, selling in from Shenzhen, right? That's got to be even harder. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, where are you manufacturing? Yeah. So that is a good question. Um, so I do do the like final assembly, all the programming. Uh, it's kind of important from an IP protection perspective uh, here here in New Zealand. But yeah, no, like base level manufacturing. Yeah, I do. I do have um, a, a Chinese uh, manufacturing facility put these guys together. And um, so that's PCB manufacturing and PCB assembly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, we test them out here in New Zealand, uh, calibrate them and. Uh, okay basically um make sure to make sure they're good to go and do final assembly and packaging got it and so you like you said you ship directly from i'm assuming you have some type of warehouse or something like that um whether that's like an actual facility or like who was was it, was it jonathan who like for a while like was just storing stuff in his closet like that's where you start right <laughs> yeah absolutely there's more sophisticated ways to do this as your volume grows sure there's you know i've even thought about um having these things built entirely in, in uh, China and then and shipping directly there to target markets. Um, that's a volume question. And also uh, you do change your, your, your tariff and your taxation uh, structure at that point. So, um, so when you're taxed or, or when you're, when you're taxed for, for tariff reasons, it's, it's New Zealand cause it's coming from New Zealand, right? Uh, or sorry, like, like the U S would tax New Zealand rather let me mm. rephrase this. The tariff would be paid on a New Zealand good rather than the Chinese good, right? Yeah. So the the majority of the value is added here in New Zealand. So, you know. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That, like I said, I'm not an expert in export, but that's my basic understanding. Um, Got it. So, right. so for any listener who's trying to figure out like, where should we finally assemble these and ship them out of? Like China is one possibility, but understand the, the codes there versus like New Zealand or some other yeah. country. So they have a basically, you have an inbound product coming from New Zealand. Majority of the value has been added here, that being the software and, and final assembly and whatnot. And um, so then that comes through the US system. That's going to get assessed. Uh, and if there was a duty to be paid that could actually be paid by the end, the end customer. So basically it's like a taxation on the inbound product. But luckily in my experience with this type of product, I actually haven't had any customers say, Hey, they, they wanted us to pay anything at all. Right. And so my experience with, you know, this country of origin question has been similar with other products. So 
you know, in the U.S., the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, is the one who's responsible for the designation of, like, if you want to say your product is, like, made in the USA or something like that. Mm. And they've got some guidance. It's honestly not particularly clear. There's been discussion recently of making it more clear. But if you're making an electronics product, it is very unlikely you'll be able to say it's made in the USA, which is, like, an unqualified claim. So then the next tier down would be, like, made in the USA with domestic and imported components. And in order to do that claim... You know, I think my understanding as well is that the value of the components has to be 50% or more ish in the US because, you know, it's not based on like your bomb, like part count. And if you have value that's added outside of components, but, you know, is done through, like you said, software, um, there's it's just basically it's worth looking into, maybe talking to an attorney, depending on where you're from and how you designate it. But anyway, everything you're saying checks out with me and has been pretty consistent with my experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I should just say, I not an attorney, not licensed in this. Seek your own counsel, right? <laughs> I, I I'm coming at this from a, a very low volume perspective at the moment and uh, learning as I go. So, so you're in Christchurch. You are doing the work in Christchurch. Are you? Do you have? Were you able to find a place on the South Island like facilities with like ESD everything you need there or? you know, how did you, uh, piece that together? Cause obviously, I mean, New Zealand economy, there's a, there's a lot going on down there. It's obviously, you know, jokes aside about sheep or flight of the concords or whatever. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot of companies down there and, uh, pretty interesting companies, tech, tech companies too. So was there an ecosystem that was able to support you bootstrapping this on your own? Yeah. Um, New Zealand technology is absolutely fascinating space. Um, one of the greatest things about it is everyone is a, a startup in the sense that, um, most companies have to be small because of the scale of the market. So you have engineers who are addressing a very wide range of skill sets. Um, and it's a very collaborative environment. If you say, hey, mate, I'm trying to assemble this thing. Can I borrow your your you know ESD-sensitive shop to just assemble like 20 of them? The answer is going to be yes. Uh, the government actually offers a lot of innovation programs and funding for, uh, you know, if you're trying to get something going, they're, they're, they're going to help you out. Um, because they recognize that if you're successful, the multiple that you're going to bring back into the New Zealand economy is very, very great as compared to, say, agriculture. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, basically support all around. Um, but we are battling natural challenges. We're not San Francisco. You know, we don't have massive venture capital. We don't uh, have an, an enormous market. So pluses and minuses. You're all bootstrapped, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I did get some uh, small uh, grant funding from the government because, you know, I went and pitched my idea. They're like, great, here's sure. a little bit of money here. Make it happen. Uh, but no, I'm bootstrapped at the moment. Yeah. OK, but like no, no, like private VC backing or anything. No. And the, the scale of problem I'm attacking is not appropriate for, for VC. I'm not saying I'm going to be a hundred million dollar company. I, I saw a relatively niche problem. I said, you know, we can we can hit that one. We can take it out of the out of play by quickly developing something, getting it out to our engineering mates. Do you find that most of your customers are in larger companies, smaller companies, or it's really across the board? Yeah, good question. Uh, so my bread and butter is like small, medium companies, like, you know, 20 employees or less. They've got some electronic widget, probably in a niche market. And that's that's what they're making and selling. Sometimes I can sell into these bigger guys, basically be me back in the Fortune 500 I'm living in some R&D lab somewhere testing out some product uh, during the R&D phase. That's where, they, where they're going to use my gear. Fortune 500 is probably not going to use my stuff end-of-line testing. That's, that's bigger scale done in a different way. 
Got it. So, so your niche market is really these smaller, more medium or medium companies yeah, or, um, that are tackling this. Or you could be an engineer for Boeing and you've got a PCB you want to test just there on your desk. You know, you just want to do some cycle testing, you want to do some max ambient battery life, you know, looking at some uh, charge discharge stuff right there on your desk. Yeah. Got it. So it's, yeah, so it's bench top. It's really not like one of those big machines that like part of your giant testing program. So it's benchtop. And then, like I said, for smaller, medium pe- people, they can adapt it very easily into a more than functional end of line test. You know, you just, in, you basically connect it to a, a, a spring contact uh, bed of nails tester thing and you're good to oh, go. Oh, cool. Yeah. You script it up. Yeah. You're good to go for like, if you want to make, oh, I want to make a, you know, 2000 of the whatever PCB. Yeah. That that's going to work. You want to make three hundred thousand? Eh, maybe maybe invest in something a little more uh, advanced. Yeah. So it sounds like you're selling into a variety of sizes of companies. Talk about the difference between selling to like a twenty employee SMB versus selling into one of these big Fortune five hundred companies. Let's talk about like uh, approved vendor lists. Let's talk uh, about like sales cycles. Just give people a sense of that because I think they hear, oh, you sold a unit to Boeing or whatever, uh, whatever, name the company, but maybe you ended up losing money <laughs> on that single sale because it takes yeah. so long to get through all the paperwork. What is, the, what is the difference between selling to small and big? How does that, how's that going for you as a small business? Yeah, that's absolutely a, a fabulous question. Um, yeah, you got these. Okay, let's say you have a 20-person company. Maybe you're in Sydney. That means you've got maybe five engineers. Those guys all have credit cards. They just pull one out. They're like, hey, is this a good idea? All right, let's do it. Done. <laughs> right? Fast turn. Oh, boy. You're selling into Stryker, uh, you know, Boeing. They have an approvals process, right? And that's completely understandable. They need to they need to keep track of where their funds are going. Um, in that case, oftentimes there's a, there's a threshold, a financial threshold, at which case things get much more complicated if you're above it or, or you know, way easier if you're below this threshold. You know, it might be $1,000 or maybe $500 or whatever. Lucky for me, my gear is pretty inexpensive. I'm generally underneath that threshold. So I just need like a, a managing uh, engineer, like an like a engineering manager. This is a guy with maybe like four junior or like six junior engineers under him. Generally, he can sign it off and then it gets it goes on the company credit card. So Okay, I have like eight questions around there, but I'm going to yeah. try to stick to two here. First of all, <laughs> can you give us a guideline as to where that threshold is? So anybody who's developing a thing, be like, oh, if we're going to target these bigger companies, try to keep it below that so you don't need that crazy yeah. approval unless you're going for scale. I mean, $1,000 is, is pretty often uh, the, the level. I've seen a few places where like a 500 is there. Okay, but you know so what? something in that range. You can also discount, right? You can also... <laughs> True. Yeah, I know that hurts margins sometimes, but you know, what if I sell you, you know, discounted in quarter one, and then if you need another one quarter two, you know, that they're, you know, we just two different sales, right? Um, Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So there's there's ways of making it work. Do you ever run into an issue where it's not about price, but say like computer security and you have to like, prove that all your API and scripting stuff is secure. Absolutely. So that was totally core to how I was designing this thing was separate, separate that analog front end circuitry from. And Sean's holding up the the DAC right now. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. uh, This is radio, but uh, yeah. um, From the, from the DAC. Yeah. If, if you guys are, you know, if you're a huge organization, you've got some IT requirements to use national instruments, lab view technology only, 
go for it. Uh, you know, that's okay. A hundred percent. I don't, if you love your deck, keep it. That's fine. You can use my, my hardware test module. They inter- interact very well mm-hmm. that I'm just offering the Python deck for guys who are looking for something new, something a little bit easier. Um, yeah, it's not going to be economically viable for me to go do battle with national instruments o- over DAC sales, you know, 200 unit dollars right. a piece. Yeah, that makes sense. And the security requirements are interesting because, you know, I, there are some of these uh, consumer oriented hardware companies who make products that are required to connect to the Internet in order to operate. You know, you have to be connected to their cloud service. Like, you know, I think of the Glowforge laser, which is a really cool laser cutter but it has that requirement. And I've had in conversations with clients over the years, I've had the opposite conversation every time it's a, this type of professional engineering thing. I'm like, oh, can we make sure it doesn't connect to the internet? Can we disable <laughs> yeah. the Wi-Fi? Can we make sure it doesn't do Bluetooth? So I feel like the fact that you've thought about that ahead of time probably makes those security vendor forms a lot easier to fill out. Yeah, and also bear in mind that uh, mine actually is not technically connected to the internet. You download download the um, sort of API package from uh, Py, you know, PyP, the distribution manager for Python. And if you want to disconnect your computer from the internet, go for it. Things work just fine. Obviously, you need to nice. reconnect for updates, uh, but you know, you're okay. Yeah, and the other thing I want to touch on really quick. So, okay, you you're having these big conversations. Maybe someone's excited. Maybe you're under the purchasing list, purchasing requirements. But you are also in DigiKey. Are you finding that DigiKey is helping you close deals because you're there and they can buy through there? Uh, so DigiKey is social proof. Like to me, like, I don't know. I'm a total nerd for DigiKey. I've loved it for ages. Um, being on DigiKey is just like, you've made it. Like, <laughs> congratulations, you're real. And, and I think to a certain sense, other engineers see that and they go, oh, look, I... I saw it on, it must be okay. It must, it must be legit. It exists at least, you know? Um, so yeah. And, and if they see it on DigiKey and they come and buy direct, that's fine. If they buy through DigiKey, that's, that's okay as well. So, yeah. Do you find that um, distributors, do you find that you sell more through distributors or more direct? Uh, direct? Cause I'm putting in the, the, the marketing time, right? Think about, sense. Yep. So I, I sell this, this hardware test module. That's a thing that didn't really exist, you know, in that form two years ago. That's incredibly hard to Google for because you don't know it exists, right? Right. So it's going to be a little hard to find out there. So that's why I've got the DAC. People know to Google for USB DACs. They want them. And then that sort of directs them over to the, uh, to the te- hardware test module. So you have this larger category that you can piggyback off of. So from like an SEO perspective, the, the, the idea with SEO, right? When you're doing this niche thing, you're like, well, you know, you're trying to catch waves, right? You're ca- catching these waves of search inquiries that are going out. And if it's this small thing, how does anyone find you? Can you explain that? Cause that's really interesting. How do you piggyback off of that larger category, connect the dots? And, and I, it sounds like you're doing SEO, but maybe you're doing something else. Yeah. So, so first of all, I'm not an SEO expert, but I did know that to get found, I needed to be, I need to have something that people know to look for. So, you know, I want to be on DigiKey. What, what, what am I, as an engineer, I'm probably searching USB DAC. So whatever I do, when I'm talking to DigiKey, I got to make sure that at least one of my products is, is ranking highly for that search term. So I, I just I engineered the variable. So 
you know, I'm, I'm competitive on cost, right? I, I'm, I'm probably one of the best, I'm actually the best cost product for the, for the features on DigiKey. So it ranks highly as an engineer. That's the absolute first button I click is, is cost. Um, then I just made sure, you know, worked with the guys at DigiKey to make sure it, it, um, it gets classified the same as its brothers, uh, similar products and went from there. Um, search terms on, on the website. Yeah. Making sure I'm, I'm putting in the keywords, uh, trying to do a little bit of blogging, um, that sort of thing. But, um, that one's a little bit more of a mystery to me. I'm not a guru when it comes to Google SEO. Yeah. But I mean, you, you nailed it though. When you, all those things you talked about when it comes to, um, DigiKey SEO, it's kind of the same, like making sure those key terms are there making sure your the stuff's up there. It's just, you start playing the game of trying to create content rather than a particular product. And that's, that's the whole inbound marketing game. Yeah. And also given that, you know, this is an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial project, truly, I'm just, I had an idea. I thought it found, you know, it, it would solve a problem and I want to offer it to other engineers where I personally find value is talking to other engineers saying, you know, Hey, do you have a problem? Like, let's, let's talk about some ideas. You don't even need to buy my stuff. Let's, let's just try to solve what you're, what you're working on. And that's where I'm happy to put in my time. Um, gaming, yeah. the Google SEO is probably not as much personal enjoyment for me. Yeah. Let's talk about that support real quick here before we wrap. So an engineering manager, she finds the magic DAC. She's super interested. She buy it through the site or DigiKey or whatever, buys it. What, what kind of support are you putting in oh, yeah. based on the price that you have here? I'm curious how much time you're spending supporting these products yeah. versus, you know, how much is this, you know, hypothetical engineer? How much is she going to be able to figure it out herself or delegate to her team? Yeah. Uh, great question. So the first thing is... I'm an engineer. The documents need to be great, not just good, yes. but spectacular. So, you know, we've got three-dimensional models. So the thing integrates, per, you know, very easy into whatever program you're, you're, uh, you're designing your hardware in. Uh, you know, the data sheets are spot on. I feel that, you know, um, we've got layout guides for if, if you want to make a, um, a PCB uh, layout to connect the hardware module to. Yeah, it's there. Um, we've got this interactive website for the Python API it shows a code example for every single feature. So all of that's there. Now there's a, there's a famous phrase in, in startups, do things that can't scale. I, I'm at that stage. You want to talk to me about your individual problem? Let's do it. I'm happy to offer you my time. Uh, I just, yesterday, I, I drew up a little schematic for a guy with a pen and piece of paper and emailed it to him. Just said, Hey, is, is this kind of put this with my thing with that, with that, that sort you out. So I'm really happy to talk to engineers and help out as much as I can. You know, if we get up to 20,000 sales a month, maybe I'm going to have to change my policy, but I'm not there yet. So That's awesome. And Harris, I know you've mentioned that before in the past, do things you can't scale. So Sean, outside of magicdac.com, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, LinkedIn is the best way to connect with me. Yeah. Awesome. And we'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. Sean, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate all your insights and Good luck keeping growing the Magic DAC. That is a, such a good tool. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at HelloBlinkShow. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC BY 4.0 license by Skalriza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at soundcloud.com slash amin maxwell slash routine. <laughs>